What's up, everybody? Welcome to an NCP conversation where biblical sermons are presented in a TED Talk-like fashion. I'm your host, William Kahn, and today we are going to be preaching on James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. The title of the sermon being, You Are a Disaster. Subtitle being, and so am I. Let's jump right into it. This is the second time recording. For some reason, it didn't work the first time. But we're going to have a great time today. Hopefully it's way better. So let's get right into it. I have to tell you a story about one of my friends. Bless his soul. He's a complete disaster. He got hired one day to work construction. And he was told he needed a couple tools for the site. A measuring tape and a, a ruler. Everything else would be provided for him at the construction site. However, this friend of mine is a cheap boy. So cheap. He didn't go to you know, a, a real store, but one of those dollar stores where you find at every you know, corner. And he picked up the cheapest measuring tape and ruler. Heading over to the site on his first day, he went to work measuring out 2 by 4s and cutting away. At the end of the day, his foreman came over and knew, right away knew something was wrong. Everything was off. The measurements, the framework, it had gone terribly wrong. After screaming at the guy for about five minutes, he, 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 he screamed, give me your tools. And looking at the ruler, looking at the measuring tape that had been labeled improperly, they weren't even straight. Shaking his head, he said, man, I gotta fire you. There's just no other way. And as he walked off the construction site, the boss yelled after him, next time, Get the basics right, buddy. My friend learned a hard lesson that day. You see, when your foundations aren't lined up right, everything is going to be off. You, my friends, are disasters. You might not like to hear it, but it's true. You are a complete disaster. Listen, you knew what you were getting into when you clicked on the link. It's right there in the title. You've got no one else to blame for listening to this podcast except yourself. You are a disaster. But why am I saying this? Why is this even true? You, you, say, you might say, of course not. I'm perfect just the way I am. No one, no one should be called a disaster. People are just people. And, and there might be some truth to that claim. See, there's a question that rises up in spiritual religious circles like clockwork. The question is, are people naturally good or are they naturally bad? See, the reason it comes up in religious circles is because we want an answer to the fundamental state of the man. It's a bit of a misleading question, however, because it's a tough question to wrap our minds around. What is good? What is bad? Are we looking at this at an objective sense? Are we looking at this at a biological sense? What makes a person good or bad? See, it's a tough question because there's probably a tougher and more nuanced understanding of man. It's probably more true to say that people are not necessarily good or bad. They're just people. And, and the range, the capacity we have for doing Actions is, is wide and vast. In a sense, people are just people. It's a legitimate 
objection to the question of people good and bad. But pragmatically, practically, nobody lives this way. See, as humans, we have the capacities to do great and impressive things. As men and women, we have developed the capacity to judge actions as good or bad. This isn't common to humans. Even animals do this. Chimpanzees, for example, live in communities that have developed complex community structures. Chimps will organize themselves in a hierarchy. And when it comes to male-female relationships, females will mate with males, with alpha males they think best suit their needs for survival. If they judge a male's actions not to be in their best interests, in other words, if they label it as bad, they will take actions to undermine him. We as humans do the same thing. We have developed complex social codes to live within communities. As an individual, you live with ever-increasing intersecting circles. And in those circles, you find different social codes. You have a family social code. You have a community social code. You have general culture social codes. And all these codes, even though they might not line up perfectly, divide a general guideline of how you're expected to live. And every person, even though they may live in different times and different cultures, have these social codes placed upon them. And every single one of us, at some point in our lives, have failed to live up to the standards placed before them. Well, you might say, these are just silly, stupid social constructs that that we're supposed to live in. Oh, oh, my friends, you might be 100% right. That might be true. But this isn't about the rules. This is about you and your inability to follow those rules. See, some of you, like me, might hate the fact that you're unable to do what is set out right before your face. In fact, you might be so like me that you're flabbergasted, you're utterly confused that you can't even follow the simplest of rules. In fact, you go out of your way to disobey them. You might not even know that you're doing it, yet you can't seem to help yourself. Some of you are not like me, you're more like rule followers. But even you have found yourself in a position where you've messed up and you're wondering, why am I a disaster? See, I ask myself that question more than you do, but you still have asked the question, why all of this chaos around me? And, it, and I think, I think there are five different ways you and I are probably disasters. And, and, and these aren't easy to hear or to identify yourself with, but try if you can. You probably fall in one or two of these categories. The first way you might be a disaster is that you're careless. Uh, a better way to say this is that you're naive. Right? Here's the thing. You are a disaster because you don't know any better. Right? We look at teenagers, we look at young kids, we look at young adults, and we say, yeah, you're a disaster because you just don't know how the world works. It's not that you're trying to get out. It's not that you're trying to go out of your way to hurt people. You just do. Your actions, your intentional actions lead to hurting people because you don't know any better. Take grade school, for example, and your 
you're picking teams to play a sport. Right? Let's say you do it by having captains. Well, let's say there's an odd number of people and one person is left standing, which neither team wants. So what do the kids do? They end up playing the game without him. <laughs> Some of you were that kid left out of the game. Some of you remember seeing a kid not play a game because he was the kid nobody wanted to play with. Friends, that is a very nasty thing to do to exclude a person. We've been there. We've seen that. We were naive. We were careless. And because of that, we did disastrous things. The second way you can be a disaster is that you might be foolish. This is to say maybe you just aren't smart enough to know any better, even though you might be aware. It's a bad position to be in, but some of you may be there. You're just not smart enough, not intelligible enough, and because of that, you put yourself in danger and others. We hear of these, these awful, heart-wrenching situations where young people Young kids go drinking and driving. This, friends, is not naivete. This is foolishness. This is dangerous. This is criminal. There's enough information out there to say that drinking and driving in North America is criminal, yet people do it all the time. They lack the intelligence. And through that lack of intelligence, they cause great pain and suffering to themselves and to others. The fool causes disaster in many areas because they do not understand what their actions ultimately played out look like. The third way you might be at a disaster is that you're broken. And through your brokenness, you damage people. Unlike the fool, who is aware but isn't intelligible enough to obey or to listen. A damaged person might not be aware of their tendency to fight for survival through any means necessary. Picture a young lady who grows up in a family, in a household, with an emotionally abused mother and a drunkard as a father. Both parents use tactics and underhanded measures to get what they want. Eventually, this young girl, this lady, picks up on the bad habits, not even recognizing that she's doing this, and she continues the cycle. Growing up into adulthood, she wonders why relationship after relationship fails. She has no idea of the broken habits and rituals she's picked up for survival and ends up hurting healthy relationships. This person feels unlucky. And they see the disaster that swirls around them. And yet they have zero idea how they play a part in it. The fourth way you might be a disaster is that you're hurting. And there's an old adage that says, hurt people, hurt people. Anger is said to be the devil's cocaine and it looks to be used. You don't mean for the intentional consequences, but because you're suffering, you intentionally inflict suffering onto others. You might soon regret it, but in the moment, anger consumes you and in it, you cause disaster all around you. So to go over the four, you might be naive. You might be a fool. You might be broken. You might be hurting. 
There is a fifth way you might be a disaster. It is the hardest to hear. It is the saddest to hear. And that way is that you might be true. There might be a part of you that is truly vile. And in that vileness, you look to inflict pain onto others and you have no regret after the action is done. Some of you are listening to me and you'll be shocked. How can a person be that way? Some of you aren't shocked because you know that terrible feeling rise up in your own self. You know, as well as I do, that you've heard about a hard time falling on another. Perhaps somebody you're not terribly fond of. And instead of feeling bad, instead of emphasizing, sympathizing for that person, you allow yourself to grin. You allow yourself to be happy. Maybe you have some capacity to realize this isn't normal. Why am I happy for somebody's misfortune? Maybe, maybe you have the capacity to recognize you don't care. But you, and you know you shouldn't be happy, but you revel in it. Some of us are disastrous because there's a part of us that is just truly evil and gleeful to do a happy dance when something goes wrong. So nobody, as far as I know, is 100% like this all the time. But the fact that there have been moments in your life like this should scare you. It should scare you enough to know that there's capacity for evil, for darkness within you. Whether you see yourself in one or two or all of these ways, you, my friends, are like me. A complete disaster. But that's not even the worst part. See, the worst part is we know it and yet and yet we shift the blame onto others. We want to blame others for our brokenness. We don't all shift blame for the same reasons, but for a multitude of reasons. Maybe we shift the blame because we don't want to get caught. We don't want anyone to know what we're truly thinking or doing. We don't want people to think that we're naive, or that we're not smart enough, or that we have truly terrible thoughts. We shift the blame because we don't want to be known, we don't want to be caught. Sometimes we shift the blame because the blame doesn't land 100% on one person. Sometimes many people share in the blame. I was in a prank back in my college days that got carried away. I would say that I was innocently (laughs) a part of the prank and then I stayed too long. I cut loose before the night ended, but I knew I still had some share of the blame. I wasn't the leader of the prank, nor did I take part in changing the prank that made it go so wrong. But I stayed. And if I had left half an hour beforehand, I would share none of the blame. But truth came out, we all got caught. And I wanted so badly to shift the blame. I did not want to take responsibility. And honestly, if I wanted to, I probably could have. I probably could have said, this is not an idea. And I wasn't a part of this. And I played, I didn't carry the bucket. I didn't fill it with water. (laughs) I could have shifted the blame because I wasn't, 
an integral part of the plan. I sometimes, because we find ourselves in complex situations, and because there are multiple parties, we want to overblame and put more responsibility on others, therefore shifting it away from ourselves. Sometimes we shift because we don't want to be responsible. <coughs> Sometimes you are a disaster. Not. Sometimes you didn't cause a disaster, but a disaster happens to you. Sometimes you are the victim. And through actions taken against you, these moments in your life, these catastrophes define you. My friends, there's nothing wrong with being the victim. But, and here is a very hard truth, sometimes we blame others for our victimhood. And we get stuck in the victim mentality, allowing that to define our entire life. I've told you before in a separate sermon that my father passed away when I was younger. And the truth of the matter is that that put me in a victim-like mentality, in a category of the victim. My father was taken from me, and because of that, my upbringing, my brother's upbringing, my family's life was changed dramatically, drastically. Not having my primary mentor there, I believe, stunted my growth. And sometimes I want to blame others for that stunted growth. I didn't have my dad. No wonder, no wonder I don't have particular habits in place that others seem to have in spades. But friends, that happened a long time ago. That happened over 15 years ago. There have been many times that I have acted or I have not acted and those moments I've taken in my life has led me to the place I am today. You see, I can no longer hold on to that victim mentality because I am now where I am because of my own actions, not because of this one singular event. I have made choices past that event that have led me to where I am today. I can no longer allow that event, that particular event, when I was 12 years old to define my life as much as it did when it first happened. I can no longer blame others for the disaster that happened around me. My friends, the truth is you are a disaster. There's a greater truth that as a disaster, <laughs> we have to take responsibility for our brokenness and our failures. And it brings us to our Bible reading for today in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let me read it to you. Again, James chapter 1, 13 and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. I laid out five different ways you might be a disaster. And my friends, I know you're a disaster because it comes from a biblical concept, which is known as man's depravity. Man, me and you, human, is known by our very nature to be broken and evil. 
And through that brokenness, we break relationships with other people. We break relationships with the things around us. We break relationship with our very selves. We break relationships with God. Because we are hurting, we hurt other people. Because we are fundamentally broken. Because we are, as the Bible says, depraved. Each one of us is tempted in our own unique ways to be a disaster. We are tempted to do things that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. The Bible gives a way to see this process built out in each of our lives. We all have these desires that compete within us to give us the greatest pleasure or the greatest joy. Think about it. For the fool who wants to go out and drink and drive, he has the the value in his life to enjoy freedom. He wants to drink, but he also wants to drive to get home or get to his friend's place. And he doesn't have the wisdom to say, I can't do both. He asks the question, why not both? The fool, the desires compete within him and he lacks that wisdom for the hurt person. Justice is a value that competes in your very soul. And guess what? That justice has been lost. Why am I hurting when others are not? People should feel my pain. You, the hurt person, have a desire for justice, but in the execution of that desire, you do it poorly. You do it wrong. For the vile person, you might take great joy in seeing others fall and seeing them fail. You may pursue that joy, and you probably pursue that joy at the expense of others. We all feel certain ways that lead us to wrongful action, and that wrongful action leads us to terrible places. And we look back and we ask, what caused all this disaster? My friends, you happened. You did. You happened. I happened. You wanting to pursue pleasure, to pursue joy, to pursue comfort, acted in accordance to what you thought would make the most out of the situation, and it brought forth disaster, because your desire cultivated into wrongful action, and wrongful action in the Christian world we call sin. You are fundamentally broken. Your very nature is broken. We call that your sinful nature, because you are fundamentally a disaster. And sometimes, sometimes it manifests itself in the real world. For me, it feels like it manifests itself more than other people. <laughs> but, but because you're fundamentally broken, because you have these desires in yourself that come out to wrongful action, they bring you to places of terribleness, of disaster. When sin, when desire has given birth, to sin, to sin when fully grown brings forth death. The worst part, listen, the worst part is we want to blame others. Sometimes we want to blame God. This is a hilarious notion because it's like when you're back in grade school and you cause a mess in the classroom, who do you blame? You try to blame the nicest, most careful kid there, right? That is what we do when we try and blame God. We say, oh, there's God. He did it. We are deceiving ourselves because God 
is not like us. God is fundamentally not a disaster. His very nature is light and life. Listen, when you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, the light shines and it pushes back the darkness. Darkness cannot be in light because light expels it. This is what God does to sin. This is what God does to wrongful action, to broken natures. God expels it. He is light. And when you think that you are being tempted by God, the truth is that God cannot be tempted with evil because light does not allow darkness in it. So light is light and expels the darkness. And because it's not of him, because it's not in him, he cannot pull it out to tempt other people. God is not a disaster, and disaster is not within him, and therefore he cannot bring it upon others. That is, that is a crazy statement about God. It's a beautiful statement about God. We are disasters. We cannot blame the nicest, most careful kid in the classroom. We have to look in the mirror and say, I am a disaster and I take responsibility for that. That is a greater truth. The greatest truth. If you believe that you're a disaster and you believe that you have to take responsibility for that, it leads to a gospel truth. This is a truth that is hard to hear at first, but it gets way way better. It gets even sweet, like honey. The truth is, if you are a disaster, fundamentally, there's nothing you can change, you can do to change that. We have the, the most wonderful education that leads to science. We have wonderful doctors, we have wonderful medication, and there's things that we can do to participate in in 2018 in North America that helps us change our behaviors. These are, these are great things, doctors, medication, sciences, that lead us to help people live in this world. That's a great thing, right? And sometimes we don't manifest our disasters because we can control we can control our actions and they don't lead us down these dark rabbit holes that sometimes these actions, these thoughts can lead us down, right? And, and if you're struggling, guys, if you're struggling with being a disaster, maybe you need to go get some help. Maybe you need to go see a doctor and, and begin that journey of saying, I need help. But fundamentally, we are a disaster. And fundamentally, there's nothing that we can do to fix that at a spiritual level. And you say, so what is the hope? What is the answer then? The answer is that we need somebody to come fix us. You see, if God is light and he expels darkness, we need that light to come inside us spiritually so that it is so that the things that are holding our hearts in bondage, the things that are holding us to this world that are not um, helpful to us can be expelled from us one day. How does that happen? Well, it happened through the life and work of Jesus. We believe that 
because you are fundamentally a disaster, because I am fundamentally a disaster. We needed a savior. So God sent one. He sent his son, Jesus, to live, to die, to rise again, to pay for the disaster that is you and me. You see, when we hurt God because of our desires and because of our actions, we were separated from him. And we are separated from light. We are separated from life. God needed to mend that relationship with him and us, with us and others, with us and ourselves. He needed to mend that together, and he did it through the life and work of Jesus. The gospel truth today, the greatest truth of all time, is that you and I are a disaster and we can't fix ourselves. So God did it for us. And if you submit your life to the life of Jesus, then he will make you whole. We believe one day when we die, or when God comes back, whatever comes first, when that happens, we will, be, we will leave behind our disastrous being, and, and we will be made new through the sacrifice Christ did for us on the cross. It's a beautiful thing that one day we won't be disasters and we have to thank Jesus for that. I told you a story at the beginning of my sermon that I had a friend in construction. Well, that was a story. That was a parable. That's not true. What I want to say, if I haven't made this fundamentally clear to you today, I am that person. I am fundamentally broken. I am a fundamental disaster. But Christ has saved me, and I believe one day the brokenness, the sinful nature I have that continues to rise up within me will die. It will be shed, and it will be away from me forever. And I will be accepted one day to God's presence and all the darkness will be ripped from me because it cannot stand in the light with God. I do that by trusting in the name, the life, and the work of Jesus. My friends, thank you for listening to the sermon today. I hope that you got something great out of it. I hope that you can take this to your family, your co-workers, your friends, and, and discuss what you learned here today. Discuss what it means to be a disaster and, and whether or not you're taking responsibility for your actions, your desires, the places you're going. And I pray that you trust in Jesus today, that you trust that he would remove that disaster from you one day, that that sinful nature we talked about, that that would be removed from you because you trust in Jesus. Thank you so much. I appreciate each and every one of you. May you be blessed today and forever. This has been an NCP conversation. I've been your host, William Kahn. We will talk to you in a couple of days. I love you. Bye for now.